Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Troche, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. I'm not sure if I told you about this, although I probably did. I tend to overshare. But growing up, I studied martial arts and kickboxing, and I was pretty good. I earned the rank of black belt at 16 and was undefeated in point sparring for two years. But once I went away to school, I fell out of practice. Once I got my first job and needed an outlet that involved some physical activity, the first thing I did was find a kickboxing gym. It had been a few years, so I had a lot of what we call ring rust. I had to relearn all of the techniques. I had to work on my speed and my punching power and making sure I didn't get hit in the face. One night, our gym hosted a seminar with one of the greatest kickboxers who ever lived, Joe Lewis. There's another famous fighter named Joe Lewis who was a boxer, but this one was friends with Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee coined him the greatest karate fighter of all time. He was in his 70s, but he was still just as fast as he had been in the 1970s, the height of his prime, because he never stopped training. During one of the drills, he used me as a partner to show the group exactly how he wanted the move performed. And during it, he stopped to say one of the greatest pieces of advice I have ever heard. You only lose if you fail to learn something. How often do we as Catholics go through Catholic school or RCIA, complete what we need to do, and then just go through the motions? What have we learned about the Eucharist since making our first communion all those years ago? What would happen if we never stopped learning? Today, I'm excited to have Sister Geraldine Schmidt and Father Ben Dunkelberger join me to talk about how we can continue to learn from others and thinking of Jesus as our personal trainer. Many years ago, when I was in college, so this is back BC, before the convent and before computers, um, I had the great privilege of being a um, having a mission experience. It was part of my um, degree, being a teacher, um, working in a school for special needs kids. And these students were middle schoolers. And this was unique because in this parish, it was a Catholic school, but this school um, rented out the classroom space for this this specific um, educational purpose, training and educating the multiple handicap. And because it was a, a public school in a Catholic space, classrooms didn't have any crucifixes in it. But this parish, it was it was unique because the church was in the center of this building and the classrooms were out about, around the perimeter. So everybody knew that this was a Catholic building, but not necessarily a Catholic school. And there was one g- girl who um, she that I worked with very closely. 
she was 12 and she had spina bifida, which meant that her legs were paralyzed. But she also had very severe learning disabilities. So there was some cognitive impair impairment as well. And and she as she was growing up, her um, family had a diff much more difficult time taking her to mass because their parish church was not barrier free. So she her parents couldn't pick her up anymore and carry her into church. So she was Catholic and she realized I was wearing a crucifix. Um, and she realized she asked me if I was Catholic, and. She asked the teacher if she could be wheeled into church one day. And the teacher was like, ah! you know, like, forget, no, I can't do that. It's, it's not part of my job. But then the teacher turned to me and said, but you're not an employee. You can do that. And so I did. I opened up the church with the, 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 the church uh, door, which was open. Um, and wheeled her in there and the lights weren't on, but the beauty of, of the flickering candle next to the tabernacle and her audible, <gasps> she brought in and she w was wheeled in into church, that awareness of holy ground, that she was sitting in holy ground, someplace that she didn't regularly go to, um, and we sat there for five minutes and she cried and she prayed out loud. And I was taken back by my, you know, my 19, 20 year old experience of this young girl wanting to be in front of the Blessed Sacrament when she couldn't. I had no clue about that hunger that she taught me about that. And I, I relate that story to you. Now, because we're in the midst of a three-year Eucharistic renewal, do we Catholics who understand the beauty of what the Eucharist is all about, do we regulate, regularly explain it to our fellow Catholics who really question it? I don't know. Let me read you something from the document that was penned back in November 20 of 2021, as we begin this three-year understanding of what the Eucharist is, it says, faith begins when we realize that we are in need of salvation. We are not self-sufficient. By ourselves, we flounder. We need the Lord, like ancient navigators needed the stars. In the book of Matthew, we find, I will be with you until the end of time. Pope St. John Paul II reminds us as he writes, This promise of Christ never ceases to resound in the church as a fertile secret of her life and the wellspring of her hope. As the day of resurrection, Sunday is not only the remembrance of past events, it is a celebration of the living presence of the risen Lord in the midst of its own people. He took upon humanity that we might share in his divinity. Have we really owned that as Catholics? Every time we partake of the Eucharist, we experience a little deeper reality of his divinity. That young girl taught me that lesson many, many years ago as she hungered 
to be present in front of the Blessed Sacrament. For me, she became the teacher and I was her student. Father Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here and kind of just bounce some of these questions off of you. Definitely. Super excited. Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So thank you, Rachel, so much. Um, Yeah. So I grew up uh, north of Carlisle in this diocese uh, in Perry County and uh, yeah, had a great experience growing up uh, with my family, three siblings, two brothers kind of really close in age. So for us, it was a lot of sports all the time growing up and really great. My mom was Catholic. My dad was not initially, but ended up coming into the church when we were in high school about. So that was a cool thing to see that happen. But I would say that we were, you know, we were into our faith. We were trying to be good Catholics, but it maybe wasn't as alive of a faith as it could have been in a certain sense, right? So the deepest desires were, you know, sports and maybe the outdoors as well and hunting or whatever. So I went to the college, I went to college at the University of Pittsburgh and studied electrical engineering there. And so really had a great experience and kind of accidentally fell into a friend group that was really into their faith a campus ministry there and got really into my faith, long story, but uh, through that experience ended up asking kind of deeper questions and saying, okay, do I really believe all of this? And having, you know, trying to pray for the first time in silence for, you know, in a long time and going back to confession and all of those different things. And so getting into my faith in college and really uh, through that, starting to then lead a Bible study. And uh, I think I got to my junior year and I said, okay, I need to ask God what he wants me to do. I always thought you know, I'd be, be married and be an engineer and all of that. And so had that really deep discernment for about six to eight months between my junior and senior year of college as engineering was going very well and enjoying that. Uh, so God, what do you want me to do? Be an engineer or, you know, uh, uh, get married or be a missionary somewhere or whatever. So very long story again, but uh, ended up uh, eventually through a lot of prayer and I had adoration before the Eucharist. I know this is about the Eucharist a little bit. So adoration before the Eucharist was a big part of that too in prayer. But I eventually really felt called to, at least I thought maybe God was calling me to be a priest. And so I uh, made that decision halfway through my senior year of, I really think I should at least enter the seminary and see. So I finished my degree in electroengineering uh, at the University of Pittsburgh and then went to seminary at Mount St. Mary's down in Maryland, just south of Gettysburg, and really had a great six years there. I'd say about two years in, I said, yeah, I really think God's calling me to be a priest. And so uh, I was ordained in 2018 and sent as the assistant down at St. John the Baptist in New Freedom, south of York. Uh, And then, and I was the chaplain at York College. And then I went a year and a half ago or so, almost two years now, to Shippensburg. So the pastor at Shippensburg uh, in Pennsylvania, that parish, Our Lady of the Visitation, and the campus minister of Shippensburg University. So it's been a great four years of priesthood. Um, Yeah, really cool. That's really awesome. I love that you were able to discover it while you were on your path to something else. And then you used that and you kind of went back and you got involved in campus ministry as a priest. Like, I think that's coming full circle. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really been cool to to experience campus ministry um, as a college student not too too long ago, but then to be able to immediately as a young priest uh, be doing that for for kids and there's such a deep desire at that age to discover yourself and to like 
you know, what is the world all about as you're getting out of the high school bubble of like, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's really, really beautiful and meaningful to be able to help the college students to uh, ask those deep questions and to try to live their faith in college, which is a really unique time in life. So absolutely. Cool. Well, definitely about finding yourself yeah. in college, yeah. figuring out what it is you want out of life. Mm -hmm. So I've heard a lot of people talk about having a truly transformative experience when they receive the Eucharist at some point in their lives. You mentioned that you had an experience during adoration. Mm -hmm. Could you expand on that experience a little bit and about how the Eucharist changed you? Definitely. Yeah, it's a really good question. I would say that I've had a ton of, you know, good and kind of powerful experiences, but a lot of them are not necessarily miraculous, I guess, in a certain way, but they're, you know, when you, when you see the change over time, that's kind of the goal, I think, in a sense of the Eucharist is it's, it's changing you internally over time. Right. But I certainly had an, a couple at least of just very powerful experiences um, that might be more of what people think in a certain sense of miraculous, I guess. But, um, but yeah, one of the, one of the ones uh, that I would say I was at a, a big conference and there was adoration going on, but it was also uh, uh, Lexio Divina going on, which is really just uh, the words Lexio Divina are just divine reading in Latin. So they were reading from the Bible. It was actually Jesus being baptized. And, uh, and so we're just praying, you know, before Christ in the Eucharist and just in silence as they're reflecting on this and leading us in that meditation, um, imagining being put in the scene of, Jesus going to John the Baptist, being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming down upon him. So very normal in that sense of just kind of the Bible and you're praying with it before Jesus. But as I was praying there, and I think this is something with adoration, with the Eucharist in general, not just in adoration, but when we're receiving it too, is that there was this recognition of, okay, there's this presence before me and it is Jesus. And so you're just praying and staying open to that presence. It's kind of directing the prayer towards the presence, right? In a sense, which is what we desire and how we encounter friends and, and family and spouses or whatever in our lives. So that was something that really, so in that moment, the actual experience was I was putting myself in the scene and for whatever reason, I ended up next to Jesus in the water, kneeling down and he turned towards me, which wasn't something they were saying, right? Uh, and, you know, just kind of, said a few words in that moment, which is something I really needed to hear at that time in my life. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so it was really, really profound encounter with Christ of he's, he's right there in the Eucharist. And actually in this prayer right now, he's speaking to me about something very specific in my life. And so, um, yeah, very, very, uh, profound, um, <laughs> uh, deep encounter where it's this personal, you know, couple words, but something that um, has been on your heart and then just like speaks to you very powerfully. So that would be one example of, okay, before the Eucharist and adoration and experiencing that type of, of personal word or love of Christ there uh, where you, you're directing him, you're directing your heart and your attention, your mind to the Eucharist in silent prayer, basically. Right. So does that kind of make sense? Though? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's wild. I love, I love that style of prayer. I personally haven't tried it, but several of the other priests that I've talked to mm -hmm. have mentioned that that is a, such a powerful way to just like put yourself in the scene 
And I'm like, that just blows my mind. Like, I think that that's yeah. incredible. Um, I think it was Father Bateman and I were talking about it and he was doing a prayer around the nativity for Christmas time. They were talking about being at the birth of Christ awesome. and he asked Mary to hold the baby. And I was like, oh my gosh, like to yeah. actually be able to do that in prayer is just wild. And I can't believe I haven't tried it yet. Mm -hmm. So that's on my list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I actually just gave a homily on it, not this last weekend, but the weekend before of just, yeah, what is, what is prayer supposed to be? It's all these different things, but one of them is silent meditative prayer. So just to be able to, to be in silence and to believe that when we're, we're meditating, really, we're just reflecting or imagining or all those different things that God can use that and speak through that very powerfully. So it's, it's really beautiful. And I think important to encourage people. Cause again, I, I'd never really done that until college and someone's teaching me and like, you know, doing that. So unless you're kind of taught into that or, or, you know, showed how to do it. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. And not a lot of people have heard of it before, but, but it's good to be able to talk about that and say, yeah, just, just put yourself in the scene or just imagine, or just, you know, go over the words a couple of times slowly. And then it really can be very powerful of, you know, an encounter with Christ because he wants to use that and he wants to speak to us. So right. anyway. absolutely. Yeah. Throughout history, there have been hundreds, if not thousands of reported miracles with the Eucharist. In our last episode, Father Bender mentioned one where he had gone on a pilgrimage to see a host that had bled or was congealed with blood. Have you ever seen or experienced a Eucharistic miracle? Yeah, that's a wow, that's a great question. The the I would say kind of similar and a little bit to the last answer, but I haven't experienced that type of miracle when people, I guess, usually say Eucharistic miracle. They're usually thinking of that type of thing that Father Bender had mentioned of, okay, the, the Eucharist is actually like bleeding or actually, you know, something is happening to a physical change to the Eucharist there. And there are an incredible amount of testimonies of those things happening. Um, yeah, a lot of sites you can go to in, in, especially in Europe, but around the world where it's like, here's, you know, this miracle that's still kind of happening. Like it's still here. You can test the Eucharist and, and, it, and there's this incredible tests that have been done of like, it's heart tissue and it's, you know, the same blood type of particular thing. Like it's crazy. That's wild. I, yeah, I, I should have maybe pulled it up, but I, anyway, <laughs> but it's, it's really beautiful. Um, so two, maybe quick things on that. So I haven't experienced anything like that necessarily. I would say that there's way, way more miracles that are happening on a regular basis not just miracles of like faith, but also miracles of healing that we don't necessarily hear about. So one quick thing that I will, there's so many, one quick thing that I will say is rare recently, one of my parishioners, uh, a woman in my parish was sick with COVID. She, you know, she was doing okay, but definitely very sick and, uh, you know, has this deep devotion to the Eucharist and just desired to receive it. And eventually was brought the Eucharist by one of our other extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. And she received the Eucharist and she was telling me this later that it, she was like, I'm probably going to have long COVID, you know, I'm going to have this thing forever, just feels like it might be that. And, uh, she just had this almost immediate kind of physical healing that she experienced. And it, and she was telling me this very emotionally, uh, maybe only a month ago. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's no. I can't necessarily like bring that before scientists and say like, here's this exact, you know, miracle. 
Um, but so that's one little example of like a physical miracle that just kind of happened. But, um, but there's, I think, and this is Christ's primary desire too, right? Is the physical miracles are all meant to lead to the spiritual, you know, growth closer to him in our lives. And so those are the miracles he cares about most. And those are the miracles I think that happen the most often are miracles of like, of faith, of spiritual healing, of, of, um, yeah, all of those different aspects of our life. And so that's what I would say is kind of this, what I've experienced personally more often is these powerful encounters with Christ of, of, you know, not just maybe his mercy and consolation and love powerfully, but also what we don't usually desire, which is like a word of exhortation or challenge or whatever, right. Which can lead to this, this greater conversion and, um, and closeness to God. And so that can also be uh, a miracle of the Eucharist of hearing his words speak into our lives powerfully. And maybe one little quick analogy, you can also cut me off anytime I'm speaking too long, <laughs> by the way, but the analogy of like, we often don't the, like the Eucharist can change us is one of the things that you said. We often don't necessarily in our spiritual lives, see the change as this big I mean, we desire these big like retreat moments and, and top of the mountain, right? Transfiguration moments. But often God is doing it little by little in our hearts, the transformation. And so you think of having a garden or, or you have a, a, a plant or a flower back here. And, and when you look at it and you're, you're watering or feeding it and you, and you see the tree or the thing grow little by little, but you don't actually, when you're watching, you don't actually see it grow, Right. And so to realize that that can be what's happening to us in our life of faith, of supernatural hope, of supernatural love, of virtue as well, that the Eucharist is, is doing that, changing us, right? As we're trying to grow in those ways in our life, uh, that Christ is, is doing that through the Eucharist in our heart. So anyway, that's a long answer to having experienced the miracle in that sense of the physical miracle. Um, but, uh, and I haven't been able to go to a pilgrimage site other than seeing videos and, and different things online. But, um, but yeah, I've certainly uh, had many powerful, powerful encounters um, myself and then hearing stories of other people and all of these different things. Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? That, yeah. No, it absolutely does. And I love that you phrased it that way. It's like, it's not, we, we expect something grandiose, but it doesn't have to be grandiose to be a miracle. Like one of my favorite sayings yeah. is coincidences are when God performs a miracle and decides to remain anonymous. Right. Right. And when you say it like that, I had told Father Bender, I'm like, I've I've never had an experience like that with the Eucharist. And then when you say mm -hmm. it that way, I'm like, well, there was this one time I was like in the I struggle with anxiety and I sure. was in the middle of a panic attack mm -hmm. and I was like felt called. I was like, I need to go to church. So mm -hmm. I packed up my three kids who yeah. are all like six and under. We drove mm -hmm. to church. I'm still having a panic attack like during mass because mm -hmm. there's three little kids sure. and I'm already in the middle of it. And I remember getting communion and like feeling better. Like I wasn't completely out of the panic attack, Absolutely. but it ended a lot faster than it normally would have. And when you put it like that, I'm like, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that was an experience. Right. So, right. oh, I love that you, that it doesn't have to be what we traditionally think. Exactly. Like you exactly. can have these little moments and yeah. God just decided to remain anonymous. Right. Right. That's, I yeah, that's that. beautifully said in that sense of God decided to yeah remain anonymous. I love yeah. that as well, a way of connecting that. But yeah, it's, uh, that's, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really beautiful. 
At the end of the liturgy of the Eucharist, the priest puts the host back in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I used to be an altar server, so I like remember the whole spiel. Gotcha. But why does he actually put them back in the tabernacle? Like, does mm-hmm. it stop being the body and blood of Christ once the mass is over and it's just hanging out in the tabernacle? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we certainly believe that it continues to be the body and blood of Christ uh, in the tabernacle. And, um, you know, you think about um, the words of Jesus and it's it's not, there are certainly some Christian churches who not only, okay, this is kind of a symbol and they might even believe that, you know, we're growing closer to God in that moment. So you're, re- you're receiving Christ even more in that symbolic Eucharist or communion that they're doing, right? But we you take it very seriously and, and it's it's this, this substantial change. So it's not just a, a, you know, Christ coming down and kind of like being like around the bread in order to, you know, come into us. It's no, he's, he's substantially the bread itself. You still can look at the atoms and it's still the same substance that makes up bread and wine when you might do a microscope. But in general, the substance, what immaterially holds all of that together is is Christ fully, truly. And so it's this promise he's made to us of, I will be present um, when you, you know, follow this kind of thing I've given you at the Last Supper of, you know, uh, take this, eat of it. This is my body. And so much more in the Gospels of that teaching of, you know, John chapter six is kind of this incredible, right, teaching of that. But, okay, but then if Jesus is really present, then he wants to, not just be present to us in the mass, but then to be, give us that opportunity to be physically present as we were kind of mentioning with adoration before. And also anytime you go into a Catholic church, it's this powerful moment of, okay, I not only see the, usually the beautiful tabernacle, but then the candle, usually the red candle, but that's always lit of, it's not just a beautiful church, hopefully, but a, a presence that is there. And it's a real presence of, Okay, I'm going and I'm I, I know that Jesus is there. One of my favorite kind of lines and, and uh things to think about when you go into a Catholic church is God's desire for us to in to encounter his love, right? So one of the things with the Eucharist is it's such a mystery because it's it's okay, it's Jesus, but it's you know, God become man, Jesus is is just a human being, which is what we would desire to encounter. But it's God become man. So in his soul, he has a human soul, but also the infinite God is present, fully present there. We've unfortunately run out of time. But if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos. Or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.